We're going to look at the 128th Psalm and look at the contented home. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. I think the 128th Psalm is one of the best Psalms in the Bible on contentment in the family. I think we have a lot of families that are full of discontentment today. There are a lot of problems in homes. There are a lot of issues that arise in homes. But the 128th Psalm tells us how to have true, godly contentment in our homes. I'm going to offer an opinion here, and you're certainly welcome to disagree with my opinion if you want to, but I think it's a pretty accurate one, and I think it's biblically based. But I believe one of the worst things to happen in our homes was when moms were made to feel like they were second-class citizens, like they were not successful, like they were not important unless they had a career outside the home. Amen. Or when due to finances, income and outgo and bills and all of that, they had to go to work to help support the family. Again, my opinion is this, that I, and I believe the Bible supports it. One of the greatest stabilizing factors in a home is a true godly mother Amen. raising children in the home. I don't believe that should be degrading to any Christian mother to be able to be there with her children and raise those children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, you remember what God said after Adam had looked at all the animals and God had created them all and God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. And he said, I will make him and help that is meet for him. That word help is an interesting word. It's from a word that means to surround. It's from a word that means to protect or to aid. Men, let's just admit it. Sometimes our wives protect us, don't they? They help us a lot, but sometimes they just protect us. And the word meet talks about being the opposite part. Somebody said it this way, God made us different that he might make us one. God didn't intend for a man to be a woman or for a woman to be a man. God intended for men to be men and women to be women. And a man's wife, a wife, a mother, is supposed to stand out opposite from the husband so you can tell the difference between the two. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3 gives us God's order for the home. And it's very clear what God intends for the home. And the Apostle Paul very plainly and very clearly says this, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. God has an order for the home. God is to be the head of the home. We men like to say, well, I'm the man, I'm the head of the house. Well, really, if you know Christ as Savior, Jesus Christ ought to be the head of your house. And under the Lord Jesus Christ should be the man on this earth leading his home in the worship and in the service of God. Well, what role does the mother play? What role does the wife play? She is there just as God intended her to aid, to surround, to support, to protect her husband as he follows the leadership of the Lord in the home. I have a great respect 
a great respect for any wife and a great respect for any mother who has to work outside the home and then goes home at night after a full day's work to work inside the home. Amen. I watched my mother do that. She would work all day and then she'd come home in the evening and if the house needed dusting, she'd dust it. If it needed cleaning, she'd clean whatever it needed along with preparing a meal. And so I have a great respect for anybody, any woman that does that. And unfortunately, maybe because we human beings become discontented with what God gives us, we become discontented with what we have in our homes and we want more. And so mom has to go outside the home and work to help us earn things. Well, we're talking about contentment in the home. Well, what is contentment? Listen to this definition. Contentment is an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of outward circumstances. An inner sufficiency that's going to keep us at peace regardless of what is going on around us. The idea of contentment has the idea of being self-contained. Do you realize that when they send a spaceship up, whether it's a shuttle or maybe the space station, it has to be self-contained. You know, if they run out of something in the middle of the night, they can't just run to 7-Eleven or to Walmart or somewhere like that. and get. They have to have everything that they need there with them to face whatever situation comes up. And that's the idea of a contented home. In the home, we have what we need. It's there and really all we need, folks, in our homes is the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the worship of God. You know, contentment's not complacency. Contentment is not being, you've heard of people being laid back. Well, contentment's not just being laid back. Contentment is not an I don't care attitude. It's not a self-satisfied attitude. And it's not necessarily learning to do without some things. You know, there are a lot of things we can do without. We have some needs and then we have a lot of wants in our world today. But you can have possessions and not be content. I think that's one of the reasons the wealthy are always trying to get more and more and more. They're just not content with what they have. And you can not have possessions and not be content. People tell me every once in a while when I talk about how much I had to spend on my car, you need a new car. Well, I'm content with what I have, okay? It's sufficient to do the job that needs to be done. In the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, listen to what the Apostle Paul said beginning in verse 11. He had learned how to be content. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul said, you know, if I've got a lot, that's fine. If I don't have much, that's fine. I have learned how to be content with the things that God has for me. And one more quick thought. The Bible does not say it's wrong to have possessions. Amen. It's not wrong to have possessions. Listen to what God said to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. Psalm 35, verse 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God never says it's wrong to have money. God never says it's wrong to have things. Prosperity is not always in material things, is it? Prosperity is, I'm wealthy, folks. I have my health at my age, you know. I'm thankful for that. 
That's prosperity. I have a good loving wife. I have a good family. That's prosperity. We think of prosperity in terms of bank accounts and things, but you can be prosperous and God's not against us being prosperous. He's not against us having things. And it doesn't take poverty or wealth to learn contentment in our homes. You know what it takes? It takes a true faith in God. Amen. So we're going to look at how to have the contented home. And the first thing we're going to look at is what destroys contentment. What destroys family contentment? And the answer is very easy. It's in the book of Exodus. It's chapter 20, verse 17. You say, well, what does that verse say? Well, it says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. God says, Thou shalt not covet. And covetousness, God knew this, covetousness destroys contentment. Covetousness destroys contentment. The Ten Commandments has a lot to do with the family and with family life. And we just studied in Sunday school these commandments and these precepts that God had given his people. Those who were in that class, you remember what God said? He said, you teach them to your sons and you teach them to your sons' sons. You teach them to your children. When you walk by the way, when you're sitting down, when you're standing up, when you go to bed at night, Wherever you're going, put them on your gate. Have them in your head and, and hold them in your hand and teach these things to their children. And I'm going to give another opinion right now, but I believe one of the things that's wrong with the Lord's churches today is that God's people have wanted the church to teach these things to their children and haven't taught them at home. Amen. And the chief teacher in the home, I'm going to do it to us, guys. The chief teacher in the home ought to be dad. He ought to know the Word of God well enough that he can teach his children. The first nine commandments are for living. The first nine commandments have to do with activities. The first nine commandments have to do with our deeds. But the tenth commandment, that last commandment, has to do with attitudes. It has to do with our desires. What is covetousness? Covetousness is an unlawful desire that comes out of discontentment. I'm not happy with what God is giving me. I look at what somebody else has and I want to have what they have. And we become discontent. I want to give you an example of discontentment. It's from 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 5. And you remember that Israel was living under theocracy. Their leader was God. Their king was God. And God dealt with the people through prophets and priests. And there was a man named Samuel and he was a priest and doing a pretty good job and then Samuel got old and his sons started to take over and his sons were not, well I think the scripture calls them men of Belial. And so the people got tired of that and listen to what they said in 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse 5. Listen closely. Make us a king to judge us, now listen to this, like all the nations. They looked around. All these other folks have kings. We don't have a king. I mean we got God for a king but yeah we want to see an earthly king. And we're not satisfied. And so they said, make us a king like all the nations. Now Samuel didn't like that. Samuel got upset about it. Samuel tried to defend God. And you remember what God said to Samuel about that? God said to Samuel, this is verse 7, they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. They became covetous of what others had. And they said, we want a king. And God said, you just rejected me. 
When we turn from God's way, we turn from God's will, we have rejected God. I'll give you another example, the 11th chapter of Numbers, verses 4 through 6. The Israelites became dissatisfied. Now, you recall they're making their journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. And as they're making this journey from Egypt to the Promised Land, God's taking care of them. They'd complain that they didn't have water. God gave them water. They'd complain that they didn't have food. So what did God do? He just rained angel food down from heaven, fed them with manna. By the way, manna is a type of the Lord Jesus. It met every man's need. And God's feeding them with manna. And what did the mixed multitude among them say? This isn't enough. I mean, God's feeding them. God's giving them what they need. They say, this isn't enough. And listen to what they said. We remember the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic of Egypt. Now, to me, that's not much of a meal. It may be to you. I mean, my wife likes some of those things like onions and garlic, and you know, but I'm not real big on those things. But they said, that's what we remember about Egypt. We want what we had in Egypt and they really had in their hearts a desire to go back. And so covetousness caused them to sin against God. And what did God do? He sent in quail among them. They wanted meat. He sent them meat. And he said, I'll give it to you till it comes out your ears. Do you ever have your mother say, you're going to eat so much of that, it's going to come out your ears? God said, I'll send it to you till it comes out your nostrils. And a bunch of Israelites died because of the discontentment. So discontentment is an unlawful desire, but it's also deceptive. You may have a heart full of covetousness and not realize it. You know that? You may have a heart full of covetousness and not realize it. Think of the Apostle Paul. Paul lived a life of excellence. He is a Hebrew of the Hebrew. He is a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was a religious man. And as far as he was concerned, he's telling us about this in Romans chapter 7, the 7th verse. As far as he was concerned, he was right with God until he read one of the Ten Commandments. He thought he'd kept them all. And he read that 10th commandment that said, Thou shalt not covet. And I told the Sunday school class this morning, apparently he had at some point in his life. <laughs> and when he read, Thou shalt not covet, you know what? He realized he was a sinner. Romans 7, verse 7, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. That 10th commandment opened his eyes. And he said, I'm a sinner. And I'm sinning against God. And Fortunately, he came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. But covetousness also reveals the sin, the wickedness that is in our hearts. You know, when God saved us, he didn't get rid of the old nature. He gave us a new nature, and that old nature is still there. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 about that. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Those things are in my heart, and those things are in your heart. You say, I don't believe that, preacher. Well, then you're going to argue with the Word of God. Because Jesus said that's what's in our heart. That's what's in that old nature. You say, well, where did it come from? It was born in. You know, if you ever eat an apple, and you're eating that apple, and you find a wormhole in that apple, I'll guarantee you this, that wormhole's not there because that worm tried to get into the apple. He was getting out. The egg for that worm was laid in the blossom and the apple grew around him and he ate his way out. 
And in the very same way that nature was born into our hearts, that lost nature, that old nature that separates us from God. And sometimes it comes out. And so the word of God warns us about it. Children display that nature, don't they? You ever watch a child playing with a toy? And then another child sits down playing with a different toy. What does the first child do? They want that other toy. Mine. And they want to play with it. And they want to take it away from this other child. So covetousness is deceptive. You may have it and not know it. And it reveals the wickedness that's in our hearts. Because it comes out in our actions. And covetousness is destructive. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 6 through 8 tell us that it's godliness with contentment that's great gain. Just be godly and be content with what God has given you. And thank God for what God has given you. But in verse 9, he shows us covetousness. It's seen in that verse when it says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. It's not one against being rich. God doesn't mind people being rich. Job was rich. Abraham was rich. The apostle Paul, before he gave up all to follow Christ, we believe was a very wealthy man. David, Solomon, Joseph of Arimathea. It's not wealth. What it is is the idea of I am determined to be rich at any cost. Amen. That's covetousness. And that's destructive. Because what may happen when you have that attitude, I'm going to be rich regardless of the cost. I'm going to get all of the money I can get. You know what it does? It begins to cause people to focus on making money instead of focus on their family. It causes people to start focusing on making money instead of spending time with their family. Instead of getting a good night's sleep. Instead of meeting to worship God with your family. Instead of witnessing to the lost. See, people who are things first people are the people who many times become covetous. And when we become covetous, by the way, you know what the third chapter, Colossians, how it refers to covetousness? It says covetousness, which is idolatry. The very same people who would not dare fall down before a false god. The very same people who would not dare fall down before some idol will fall down before the sin of covetousness and commit idolatry. Somebody said it this way, and I like this. If I am what I possess, and then I lose those things, what am I? If I am what I possess and I lose those things, what am I? So what destroys contentment is covetousness. Well, what defines contentment? Let's look at Psalm 128, verse 1. He says, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. We know that word blessed means happy. Joyous. The secret of satisfaction. The secret of true contentment. You know what? Is God himself. He is the secret of satisfaction and contentment. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And there it is. And be content with such things as you have. For he hath said... The Lord said, Jesus is quoted as saying this, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Psalm 73. Now, if you're familiar with Psalm 73, that's the psalm where the psalmist said, you know, I started looking around and I looked at all these folks that didn't serve God. I looked at all these folks who basically wouldn't give God the time of day. And you know what? 
They had everything they could want. He said their eyes stood out with fatness. I mean, just everything went well for those folks. And he said, I was almost jealous of them. I was almost envious. I think he may be saying I was almost covetous. He says, until I went into the house of God. And then I understood therein. I understood what happens to them. And then down in verse 25, he says this, Whom have I in heaven but thee? Who do I have but God? And then he says, And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. The only one I have is God, but he's the only one I desire. Hey, listen, when God's the only one you desire, you have everything you need. He says, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. His contentment was in God. So I don't need anything else. A little boy was trying to quote the 23rd Psalm. He said, Lord is my shepherd and that's all I want. Well, I think he had it right. <laughs> the Psalm goes, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But the little boy said, he's all that I want. So what defines family contentment? First of all, faith in God. Secondly, fellowship with the family. Listen, families need to be together. Amen. Just mark it down. Families need to be. I've long been a proponent of families being together. And families being together, the best place for them to be together is where? Together worshiping God. Centered around the Word of God and centered around the Word Himself. A man was asked this question. If you could do it all over again, what would you do with your family? I want to read to you his answer. He said, I would love my spouse more and tell her so in front of the children. You know, something about us men that sometimes we just don't like to, those three little words. I love you. And we don't like to say them sometimes in front of the children. Well, this man said, I'd do it if I had it to do over again. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen more. And I would be honest about my weaknesses and stop pretending to be perfect. Any of us dads ever pretend to be perfect? Well, I tell you what, even if we pretend to be perfect, our children know that we're not. I would pray more for my family. I would do more things with our children and be more encouraging and give more praise. I would pay more attention to the little things, deeds and words of loving kindness. I would share God more intimately with my family using every opportunity and ordinary day things to point them to God. Contentment comes from fellowship with the family. And it comes from food for the family because look at verse 2 here. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be and it shall be well with thee. Speaks of the simple things in life. Not the luxuries, the necessities. I think that's something that we have lost today in America. We concentrate on luxuries. Those seem to be the important things. And we overlook the simple things in life. But what did God say through the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19? He said, but my God shall supply all your need through his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God will supply what we need. He may give us some things, some extra things, but he says he'll supply all your need, not all your greed, okay? We need to learn to enjoy the simple things in life. And then Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 16, better is little with the fear of the Lord 
than great treasure and trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. The dinner of herbs refers to a vegetable plate. The stalled ox refers to a steak dinner. You're better off eating a vegetable plate with love than you are eating a steak dinner with hatred. Amen. The simple things in life. Our homes need to ring with laughter. Our homes need to ring with fun. I'm so thankful I was raised in a home. Uh, you know, some people think I have an odd sense of humor. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, I tell you where I got it. Got it from mom. She, you just had to know her. But see, we had fun in our home. We grew up having that time of enjoyment. We learned to laugh at home. Because listen, and you're going to hear this from the gadget king, okay? I'm a gadget king. Gadgets will not make you happy. Gadgets are always being upgraded. There's always a new improved version of some gadget. And you know what? If you're a gadget king, you got to have the next one. Uh, you know, they'll upgrade it tomorrow if I get it today. But gadgets cannot make you happy. Learn to be content with the simple and simpler things in life. Many say they want their children to have what their parents couldn't or didn't provide for them. But I'm wondering how many parents today give their children what their parents did provide for them. An honesty and decency. A desire to work. The ability to get along with other people. A sense of God and godliness. The realization that food and clothing are the necessities of life, not things. We need to give our children those things. Some of those other things they can do without. So what develops then family contentment? We're talking about the contented home and contentment in the home. Number one. Look at verse 1 again. Learn to trust God. He said, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord that walketh in his ways. We know that word feareth has the idea of reverence. In fact, if you go back to this morning's Sunday school lesson, what was the first thing that Moses, in repeating the law, said to the Israelites when he was going to repeat the law? He said, I'm telling you these things that you may learn to fear God. I don't know how much reverence of God there is among God's people today. You know, I told the Sunday school class, and I know I repeat myself sometimes, but I told the Sunday school class this. I said, one verse that stands out to me from the New Testament, from the fourth chapter of John, is when Jesus was talking to that Samaritan woman, and he said to her, because she said, you know, we say this mountain's a place to worship, and you Jews say worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, woman, ye worship, ye know not what. And that has caused me over the years to think, oh, if God's people, if God's people could only get in their hearts and in their minds who it is we're worshiping. We're not here to worship the preacher this morning. Choir did a good job. I kept my microphone off, but we're not here to worship the choir this morning. Amen. We're not here, and I love Brother Rick, but we're not here to worship him. We are here to worship God. Okay, we're here to worship God. Yes, but think of who he is. Think of his great power. Just look out across the universe and say, God did that. God created that. And so what we need to learn is to reverence that God who created all of this because he is the only God. Moses said, the Lord your God is one God. 
And by the way, he was saying, he's the only God. There are other things that people call gods. Listen, Jehovah and Allah are not the same. They're not the same person, okay? They are not. Just like Jehovah and Buddha are not the same. But people will worship Buddha. People will worship Allah. People will worship Muhammad. No, there is one God. And he is the God of the Bible. He is Jehovah God. We need to fear him. But then he says, not only that feareth him and reverence him, but him that walketh in his way or follows him. Obedience to the ways and the will of God. That's what he's talking about. If we never learn to fear the Lord, folks, we'll never be content. Amen. Go back to what the psalmist said when he said, the only one I have is God. The only one I desire is God. If we never learn to reverence him, if our families are not God-centered, listen, there will not be contentment in the home if the home is not God-centered. We may bring in all kinds of junk that try to keep everybody happy, but the only way to be content is to be God-centered. Verses 3 and 4, learn to thank God. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. Always be willing to thank God for his goodness. In the bad times as well as the good times. It's easy to thank God when times are good, isn't it? All the money's rolling in and the bills are paid and we're eating steak every night. Well, you know. We called it preacher steak when I was growing up, bologna. We're eating that, and we've got something to eat every night. We're doing all of those things, and the times are wonderful, and everybody's happy. Oh, thank you, Lord. But what about when problems come? Do we thank God for the problems and in the midst of everything? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says, In everything, and that means in the middle of everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Somebody said it this way, be humbly grateful, not grumbly hateful, okay? Just thank God. And learn to love. Learn to look at those around you. And learn to love other people. And learn to love God and share the love of God with other people. Verses 5 and 6, The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. A covetous person loves things rather than people and loves things above people. A contented person loves people over things. And I think we can see that in our own lives. You can't be covetous and love people. You can't be filled with covetousness and love people. You cannot love people and want what they have. Here's good advice. When visiting someone's house and you look around and see what they have that you may not have, thank God for blessing them and giving them those things that they have. Instead of saying, boy, I wish I had that. Boy, I wish I had that. We need to teach our children this. And I think more so today than ever. Someone else's gain or blessing is not your loss. Just because God blessed somebody with something doesn't mean he took it away from you to give it to them. So someone else's gain is not your loss. You know what that'll do? That'll help guard against jealousy. If you've ever raised two children in the same home, you know what jealousy is. Amen? <laughs> and if one gets something, the other one thinks, well, what do I get? You know, why not me? 
So help guard against jealousy. If a friend gets a new car, don't be jealous of them. Friend gets a new house, don't be jealous of them. Thank God in their behalf. And if they get a new friend, rejoice with them in that. Learn to give. Learn to give. You say, but I work for all of my stuff. Well, you know, there's a joy in giving. There's a joy in just loving others enough to give and, and to help them out. When God gives you the opportunity, when God gives you the means, just help other people. I heard about a man and his son went to, for lack of any other place, McDonald's. And the son was sitting there eating some fries. And the father wanted a fry or two and the son rejected him. These are mine. Don't, don't touch those. These are my fries. And the father thought, doesn't he know who bought these fries? Doesn't he know that I could buy him more if I wanted to? Doesn't he know I could take them away from him if I wanted to do that? Doesn't he know I could buy some fries for myself and go sit over there by myself and eat them apart and away from him? Doesn't he understand that? Doesn't he understand that by wanting to eat some of his fries, I'm trying to have fellowship with him. And God says, I give you a blessing and I ask for a part of it. And you say, oh, no, 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 that's mine. I'm not going to share it. And God says, don't you know I could take it all away from you if I wanted to? Don't you know if I wanted to, I could give you more if you'd just be obedient to me? Don't you realize that I don't need your stuff? I don't need your money. The scripture says the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. The psalmist went on to say if God was hungry, he wouldn't have to tell us he was hungry. He'd just take one of those cattle and eat one of those cattle. The earth is the Lord, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And so God says this, don't you realize that in asking you to give, I'm wanting to have fellowship with you. I've shared just recently multiple times, but I'm going to do it one more time. One of these days, like I said recently, somebody else is going to get excited about it. But 1 John chapter 1 verse 7, if we will walk in the light as he, as God is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. We fellowship with God and it's reciprocal. He fellowships with us. That's his desire. Listen, he wants to fellowship with each person here that knows him as Savior today. And if you're lost, he wants to fellowship with you too. He wants you to be saved so he can fellowship with you. And he said, And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sins. Families today need to learn to be content. And they need to be able to see God's blessing upon them each and every day of life. Look, you woke up this morning. Thank God he blessed you. Amen. You just took another breath. Thank God he blessed you. I mean, I've had somebody have a heart attack in the service when I was preaching. Okay, what did David say? There's but a step between me and death. We have no guarantee of the next breath. Thank God for his blessings. Our material world, material-minded world says this, in order to be content, you've got to have this and this and this and this. And they have a whole list of things that we have to have. You've got to walk in the right circle. 
You got to know the right people. You got to have the right connections. Then, maybe, maybe you can be content. But you know, there's only one circle that really matters. Only one circle we really need to walk in if we want to be truly content. And you know what that is? That is the circle of God's love. Where in that circle there is His provision and there is His caring. Philippians chapter 4. We're familiar with these verses. Verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing. Literally don't worry about even one thing. I like that. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then, what? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. See, what we need to do today in our homes, if we want to have a home that is content, we need to learn what the Apostle Paul learned. And what he learned was this, in whatsoever state I am, I've learned therewith to be content. Just contentment. And the way into this circle of contentment is through the love of God, which was demonstrated at Calvary. As far as I know, I'm speaking to save people today. Maybe I'm speaking to some by way of the live stream or live cast that do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. Listen, Jesus died on the cross to satisfy your sin debt. He did it for you and he did it because he loves you. And his sacrifice is appropriated this way. By repentance toward God, that's turning to God. And by faith, that's depending upon. That's relying upon the price that Jesus paid. The shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you are saved today, let me encourage you to be content in God. Thank God for what, it, you know, if I'm thankful for what God gives me, he might give me more. He could give me more. He might not. But my spiritual growth, he might need to take some things away from me so I can grow in him. But I need to learn to be content in God and with what he gives me. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, it is my prayer, it's God's desire and I think the prayer of each one here who knows Christ, that you would come into that circle of God's love through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus.